These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinema A to B. Um, We've got a nice film here hearkening back to 1987, The Princess Bride. Revisited. And Alec, I want you to kick us off on this uh, absolute treat of a film from Rob Reiner. I say this phrase a lot because we seem to talk about movies that I love, but I love this movie so much. I mean, some of it is nostalgia. Some of it is just it's a great film in and of itself. And growing up like this is this was the movie we always watched at school. Like whenever the teacher didn't want to do something like, hey, let's watch a movie. It was always this film. We always I might watch Princess Bride. Dozens and dozens of times throughout my entire, you know, school career. And I still love it. I still absolutely love it. I rewatched it today specifically just to kind of refresh, even though I didn't need it. Like there was nothing I forgot. I knew the whole thing, but still the entire time I'm enjoying it. I'm laughing at all the jokes. I'm here for the ride. There's something special about this movie. And and I'm going to say that on my to-do list is to read the book. I've never read the book, but I... Like I said, absolutely adore this movie. There's something special about it that Rob Reiner has just created from the different, you know, how to build the characters of who he who he hired and casted in these roles. Um, the look of the film, the pacing of the film, the dialogue of the film, it just all works. I mean, this is just a film done well. And outside of a couple of points, it holds up. There's a couple things and I'm like, mm, this is a little rough now. But, but I'm going to leave that. So Ben, what's your thoughts on it? <laughs> this has just been a fixture in the, in the Starkey household Yeah, growing up since 87. I'm, I'm pretty confident my, my dad would have probably seen this in a, in a cinema. I mean, he, he went to a lot of movies um, back then. Um, but later on, I mean, this, this was a fixture on cable. I know that for a fact, and that's the bulk of where I watched it. And eventually I think we did get a VHS copy and then, you know, DVD. And then this is one, I don't own that many Blu-rays. I own this film on Blu-ray. It was just one I saw. I saw it. I don't, I think I was probably at a Best Buy, rest in peace, Best Buy, giving up the (laughs) physical media. You jerks. So mad about that. Yeah. But I picked it up and I'm glad I did. It was a great transfer. It's just a delight. Like it's just a delight. And (laughs) What really helps this movie is that the writer of the book, William Goldman, mm-hmm. wrote the flippin' screenplay. So yeah. you get as faithful an adaptation as you're going to get. And sometimes that's dangerous because a, an individual does not want to take their their written word and write it for the screen. But in this case, they knocked it out of the park. And then Rob Reiner is just a heck of a director. I mean, he just is. and. Yes. And then, yeah, the casting director, they just nail every single role in this movie. At the time, it didn't look like a crazy cast. A lot of these people were basically considered unknowns. And then, you know, 10 years removed, it's like, whoa. Who's who kind of. Yeah. And then and now it's just kind of iconic that you would Mm -hmm. have this collection of talent. So, you know, at, at the time of filming, Fred Savage. No, he hadn't. I mean, I don't know. I remember a year he started doing the Wonder Years. I don't think he'd started by 87, though. That seems 
maybe, but maybe. Peter Falk's Gabriel. like the biggest name mm-hmm. <laughs> in the movie. And, and he's not in it much. Like, I mean, his, he does voiceover narration, obviously, but it's no, not like and then the, he's the other guy it. that would have been like world famous is Andre the Giant from because he was he he basically had already handed the torch off from his wrestling career to Hulk Hogan by this point. But prior to that, like Andre the Giant was was world wrestling's like guy. Yeah. And so you get him. So, but now it's like, you know, Robin Wright household name. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Christopher Guest, you know, playing a, a, a villain in here and a pretty like, I don't want to say straight, but like not a typical Christopher Guest character, you know, there, uh, there's hints of it. There's hint. Yeah. There's he, hints he'd already it. done Spinal Tap. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it was like 83, if I'm not mistaken. So he was he would have been recognized but he d- you're you're right largely he does play it like and he's really good at it too yeah oh, as this really... as the six-fingered man oh my god so <laughs> obviously you have billy crystal in it with probably that's the yeah. biggest guy no you're right that's the number one name when this movie came out is but he's barely in it yeah it's I just mean, a cameo his scene has reverberated through filmdom since i mean this scene is quoted so often, I mean, well, this movie is quoted so often too. I mean, like, yeah, but, but that's his but this, is my favorite. It's like mostly yeah. dead, <laughs> mostly dead, and to all dead. <laughs> which we all mean no means to bluff. Uh, so just quick on that scene. So basically, uh, Manny Patankin actually had to like go to the hospital, I had like take a couple of days off because of that scene. He was holding in his laughter so much because Billy Crystal that he like busted a rib or like, like did something. Um, no. Like, so he had to go, Rob Reiner had to leave the set because he kept ruining takes for laughing. Like they just had to, like, he just had to walk away because apparently like Billy Crystal was just, just going off, you know, going off script, just doing whatever. And just everyone was having a blast, having a good old time with that. It's just, well, I know Mandy, Mandy's like said publicly, that's his favorite role ever. Yeah. 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 I mean, of course my favorite character in the whole thing is, is Vizzini <laughs> with, is Wallace Shawn. <laughs> like that's, I mean, you know. Yeah. I used to well, quote I, him all the time. <laughs> like, he, never start a land war in Asia. <laughs> only, secondly. Yeah. Slight, only slightly lesser known. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, it's, it's funny that this movie is, I mean, I wouldn't say it's exactly a kid movie. I forget if it's, I think it's PG. Um, I can't remember if it was PG or, or G, but uh, I'm pretty it's, sure it's not it's PG. It's, it's PG. PG. Yeah. Yeah. But, like it, it, it feels like it skews f- for kids, but yet there's so much in it as an adult that I still enjoy. And, and obviously I'm somewhat of, uh, I, I can't make the judgment call cause I w- watched it growing up. So there is that nostalgia, but of course I've gone back and watched things that I watched as a ch- child that I loved that I don't like anymore. Or like I watched it like I had to turn off cause I'm like, this is terrible. I wanted to live here where this movie transcends that time period. Like I enjoy it now just as much as I enjoyed it then. And there's some things that hit better now, obviously than it hit then. So I don't know if this is true, but I feel like Shrek kind of followed the Ooh. pattern created by this movie where it really is made for adults, but it has enough trappings for children that you feel comfortable bringing your kid to watch this. And so, but a, lo- a lot of those jokes go over your head when you're like six, seven, eight, whatever. And Shrek works that way too. Like Shrek's operating on two levels, but, but Shrek's not a children's film. 
It's not. It's Shrek's for adults, but you get to bring your kids because there's nothing really vile in it. And there's enough, it's cute enough and there's jokes and stuff for kids. But, and obviously, but Disney films work on the, usually the invert inverse of that where it's a kid's movie and then they just give you enough pepperings of stuff that an only an adult would get. So I think this film feels like one of the, it's not the first one to do this, but it's one of the earliest that I can remember. And yeah, it's funnier now than I ever was when I was a kid. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, it just felt like what it kind of is at face value, which is like an adventure film. Yeah. Right. Like with, with very Errol Flynn's and noblemen and, a princess and you know, a giant like, so it operates at that level. But the reality is it's this super quick witty piece of comedy, like basically an adventure comedy. Mm -hmm. And I like that it's shot kind of super bright and the sets really aren't that great. And because it, it's just an interpretation from a storybook. Mm -hmm. Like, so it doesn't have to look like authentic. Like yeah. it has this whole aesthetic that feels that feels very fairy tale and like this they feel like sets like when when Mandy and Carrie are fighting or sword fighting at the top of the cl- the cliffs of insanity you know <laughs> when they're fighting up there that's just a set and and they didn't yeah. worry about the fact that it looks like a set it's fine cuz yeah. in reality we're just watching what's in the mm-hmm. mind's eye of this kid that's getting read a st- story by Columbo mm-hmm. so <laughs> Sorry, that just yeah. caught me so unawares, but it's so great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. So I've actually never thought about it that way of like, really, this is, it's not actually like, I mean, obviously I know it's, it's a story that's being told, but thinking of like, oh, we're just seeing what's in his imagination, what he's creating in his own mind. I, that's brilliant. I love that. I absolutely think that's that's the way to go. Yeah. But that brings up me to one of my points is so one of the things i'm like it hasn't held up is some of the the effects are pretty pretty rough i mean especially i was going to say it's definitely a set when hey they jump off the the thing and then they sink into the ground a little bit and come back you know come back up because there's it actually it's a, a you know pad that they're jumping off but yeah oh yeah but but again these are the things that i can slide uh and let's like because I, I just love it so much it's okay and obviously it's a it's a piece of its time and it kind of had to happen, but to get that really cool fight scene that the two of them did. Um, and so I was, so I was reading an article that was talking about the fact that it, uh, in that fight scene that is, uh, Manny Patinkin's character and Eagle Montoya's is trying to pretend he's left-handed, but he, beforehand, he does everything with his right hand. His sword is on his left hip. So he draws it with his right hand and then switches it to his left and, and, and fighting. Where if you actually look at Carrie Elwes's character, um, he has his sword on his right hip, oh. right? He pulls so it he with his left hand. he sold it better. He sold, sold it better. He, even if you look, he, when he takes his his boot off, he does it with his left hand. So oh, he's, interesting. he's constantly selling the whole thing that he's left-handed and then he switches to his, switches to his right. And so like it's this weird dichotomy of like, you know, one of the things that makes – Carrie Ellis's character so much better than all of these is because he pushes so much more, goes so much further in either pushing the deception or, Hey, I'm going to take poison for, you know, for a while so I can get an immunity. Yeah. To it. You know, I can't yeah. I, I bet my life on it. <laughs> 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 Odorless. 
<laughs> tasteless. Yeah. Yeah. It instantly dissolves in liquid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, even the names, some of these characters are just, there's comedy built into them. I mean, the fact that, that a guy's named Humperdink, <laughs> like it's just, you can't even say yeah. Humperdink without like nope. laughing. And that guy it gives a great performance too. He's, Cause he does play it straight. He does. It's that actor's name. Uh, Chris Sarandon. I didn't realize he voiced um, Jack Skellington mm-hmm. in nightmare before Christmas. That's crazy. Okay. So that that's kind of what this is, is a mix of, of most of the characters are basically playing themselves like straight. It's <laughs> yeah. really interesting. Like, <laughs> and, and I think so like, so the the acting feels like it's a, it's, a little over the top, like not a ton, it is. but it's definitely, but again, it's kind of that story base, that fantasy setting, that in imagination of kind of like, like make it bigger than what it is. And so everyone feels like they're just putting a little English on the acting and, and, and like you would on a, like a, you know, pool ball, not at, at British or whatever. Um, just, just change it up a little bit to make it feel fantastical and not and that's realistic. Gotta be from Reiner. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. gotta be the direction from Reiner to know that, to have everybody just give it a little more. Just, just um, of course, just with certain extra. actors, you just let them do their thing, namely Billy Crystal. Yeah. Like you just let him, you just oh, let yeah. him go to town. Might yeah, with all dead, there's only one thing you can do <laughs> <laughs> go through his pockets for loose change. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I wish he would come back and do the Oscars, it would host the Oscars. He was, oh, he was just yeah. the best. He was always the best. Yeah, just he was. Just put, he was. Put him on stage. Anyways, it's beside the point. Yeah. Now the scene, my, my daughter was watching this with, with my wife the other day and I could hear, I was downstairs. I could hear the roarous laughter from my daughter when, and it was the, it was the wedding scene with the guy going, marriage is what brings us together. Yeah. And she just busted out yeah. and I was like another I've indoctrinated another generation. Another generation is going to love into this film. loving this film. Yeah, it's, there's certain bits of it that just transcend generations that because I know my parents enjoyed this film. Obviously, I enjoyed this film like students that work for me have enjoyed this film. Your your kid enjoys this film. It's like there's just something so basic about this story, something that this movie's done so well and like with so much purpose that it just continues to go on and attract new fans. That's what you do when you do quality work, when you know, kind of, they're not trying to be anything more than what, what it is. They know what they are. They stick to it. And like you said, it's kind of like this adventure comedy and it just works. It just, yeah, just mean, works. It, I'm not going to quote everything, but I mean, like just the exchange of like, give us the gate key. And the guy's <laughs> like, I have no gate key. And then and like, he goes like, Fezzik, tear his arms off. And then, oh, you mean this gate key? <laughs> this gate key, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's expert writing, expert comedic writing. Everybody delivers what they're supposed to. It just. Or or the fact where, where Carrie Ellis is like, he goes, man, if we only had a wheelbarrow. And then and he goes just like, because where do we keep that wheelbarrow? And he's like, oh, we put it on the albino. And he's like, well, why didn't you list that with our assets? He's yeah. Like, man, what I wouldn't give for a Holocaust cloak. And he's just, and then Andre yeah. the Giant's like, oh, yeah. It's yeah, I like, got yeah. this. <laughs> the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah. Oh man, it's just, it, it, it's, it's that kind of smart, funny where it, it, the beats hit. They don't, 
They don't try to force it. They, they just let it kind of happen. The other thing happening in this that, and it's, it's from the, the writing and the direction is you can tell the actors are basically told to be self-aware. It's, it's interesting. Most of the good, the protagonists are pretty much self-aware that almost self-aware to the point that they know they're in a, in a story, like with some of the jokes they make. Mm-hmm. And then cause she's they're in the they're in that like forest with like the flames shooting out of the ground. And she's like, what about the rodents of unusually large size? And he's like, oh, I I hardly think they exist. And then he's attacked by by one. And it's like they they do. They feel like they just kind of know mm-hmm. that there's inherently that they're storybook characters. <laughs> and he's yeah. like she's ready to stab herself. And Carrie comes up to her. It'd be ashamed to, to ruin a perfect set of a pair of breasts. Yeah. Like just lines like that. Well, and, and I, and I want to hearken, like, it's definitely not over the top. Like I would say like Carrie Ellison, like Robin Hood, um, men in tights way over the top. Like, like yeah. this is, this is like kind of this middle ground where, like you said, they are self-aware, but it's doesn't push it. You know, it, it, it stays that adventure and kind of continues in that little believable area of like that. This is a character and not like, Hey, we're pretending to be a character kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a hard place to be and not many movies do it. And cause either you're going, you know, men in tights or you're doing something serious or, you know, the characters are not aware. And he did have a hard time getting out of the typecast of, doing comedies and spoofs and stuff like, Oh yeah. But he's, I mean, he's had a nice career. So it's like, he's very good in twister as Mm -hmm. like, as like a super unlikable guy. Like he does, he does a nice job in that, but no, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Oh yeah. No, he was in hot shots. I thought he was in another spoof and he was, he was in hot shots and he was in Robin hood men in tights. So he's been around for a long time. So yeah, he has, he has. So is Mandy. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Outside of Billy Crystal, the, you know, the best career for sure belongs to Robin Wright. Like she just Mm -hmm. from this to, you know, Forrest Gump and then House of Cards. Yeah. And she's fantastic. Just. Yes, she is. She's got just pretty incredible range. mm -hmm. Just just, there's just so much on this movie that I that I like rewatching it that I want to talk. And most of it obviously is quotes because this movie is so quotable, but try to try to go away from that. But I would say even the pacing feels like it moves pretty quick. I mean, I think it's only what, like an hour and hour and a half. Yeah. Just a little bit under an hour and 40 minutes, I think. Yeah. So like, so obviously there's not a whole lot of time that sits around, but it's still just like, it's not long before you're, you know, you're in, in the bedroom playing hardball. I thought Commodore 64. I forget forget the exact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So hard, yeah, I think it was hardball. He's got his um, bears. He's got his yeah. bear shirt on. And <laughs> yeah, of course, of course he does. Um, but like, and then you're in the story and then it kind of just moves along. And I love kind of like sometimes the interplay of where Fred Savage brings us out of yeah. his imagination. He's like, well, wait, 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 what? What's going like? Well, yeah, I love kid. the one, the first one where he pulls him out and he's like, he stops reading and it's like, he's like, what? And he's like, Oh, you, you were looking a little concerned there. I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to make sure you were okay. <laughs> or you were, you know, he's like, you looked worried there. And he's like, Savage is really good. He's like, no, more like concerned. And he's yeah. like, okay, okay, we'll, we'll continue. <laughs> but when they first start, it's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, is this a kissing one? book? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but it's funny, but then it's super poignant too. Like it's super poignant because at the end, you know, the whole thing that's been driven home is that when Wesley says, as you wish, he's actually saying, I love you. And, and so Falk, boom. Says, as you wish. As you wish. And that kind of Get like. Hey, feels. Yeah. And, you know, of course, he didn't want to spend time with his grandfather. Then at the end, he wants his grandfather to come back again the yep. next day yeah. while he's sick. So. Right. Look at building, building relationships, this movie. Yeah. Well, mm. yeah, I love the whole, the whole thing of like the, the, this, like when he was a kid, this was like television. It was called books. Because <laughs> 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 he's like super disappointed when he unwraps it. Yeah. Because it is, it's gift wrapped. And he's it like, is. what's this? We'll watch some TV. Well, this was TV when I was a kid. So musically, the, the score is 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 decent it's it's fine it's all very midi so like it's, it's that very much well like, it's not aged well and it's very mickey mousey it's one of those that i think could be rescored yeah i hate to say that and it probably would lose some sort of charm but <sighs> that midi is yeah, so the terrible. horn the horns they're supposed to be playing don't even really sound like horns like when she's being presented and, mm-hmm. and it, like the like the prince's introduction and stuff like it doesn't yeah, that that's probably what's aged it the most is the score. Yep. Again, because I mean, it feels like like early internet when we would like first get songs or whatever. It you know this was kind of like before MP3s really became a thing. So wave files are super super large. It would just be MIDI versions of the songs. Yeah. And so you, like I remember getting you know or like like old video games. You'd have that. Like I remember playing like X Wing or Tie Fighter and listening to Star Wars music, but in the in the MIDI and like. You know, it's, yeah. that's what it is. There's so much of that in here. And it's just like, oh, and then the Mickey Mousey effect, uh, mousing effect is a little over the top. It does feel much more tongue in cheek, much more, not ages it, the movie, but just kind of makes it feel less, less serious or whatever. And I mean, some of that could work again, going back and this is the kid's imagination. I've never been a f- fan of that, but I mean, it's all over the place. Yeah. The only scene that I can think of that still feels really pretty intense, even for a ki- like a, it's not a kid's film. We've kind of established yeah. that's not really what it is, but when, when Carrie is on the rack, that's like mm. taking years from his life, that, that scene still feels pretty heinous. Yes. Like even, even watching that back now, it, it still hits pretty good. And I always wondered when I was a kid and I still wander watching it, it was like, well, how long will Wesley actually live? Because he didn't get those years back. They didn't run the machine back. Like yeah. he was on that thing for a while. So it's like that guy in the, the character might not live very long. <laughs> like they might leave and like he rides off into the sunset, but it's like and then that machine stole, <laughs> stole a bunch of time. <laughs> and uh, and I was going to that, that scene. It's it's super super serious, super tough. But I will say that's when Christopher Guest becomes his normal Christopher Guest is like when he does the first year. And so then he pulls out and like he's he's talking like like how do you feel? Blah blah blah. And he goes, remember, this is for posterity. And you know, yeah. and like I'm just like, there it is, there it is. Like you played yeah. it straight. All that. Yeah. There's the moment right there. There's the Christopher Guest moment I've been waiting for. So. Which, I mean, of course, obviously, you know, I wonder how much uh, he got that role because of Spinal Tap since Rob Reiner's. Well, yeah, when you're comfortable working with somebody and and 
you know, he can deliver, deliver it. All it would have taken was a quick, like he probably didn't even make him audition. I bet they just ran a real quick screen test and was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's my six fingered man. They did shoot some stuff. Most of it was studio work, but they did shoot some in the UK Mm -hmm. because the, the cliffs of insanity actually are the cliffs of more in Ireland, at least for an establishing shot. And then that's the other thing. It's like really looks bad is like the model, the model boat with the little model <laughs> ship when yeah. it's coming sailing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not great. It's, not yeah. great. But largely yeah. those scenes are like in the beginning of the movie. And then there's really not, anything there's no set pieces like that for the rest of the film so like largely they're just in in closed off interiors like mm-hmm. that they, they're not really anywhere else that needs to feel real big or fantastical so no i will i will say though the hideout the pit of despair like watching it looks like a set and not only does oh, it look yeah. like a set it looks like a stage set like it's it, like they're going to perform it on broadway or something like it just has that feel like with the stairs Which brings and stuff like an that. interesting like have they ever done princess bride live on stage like on broadway or off broadway because this would be fantastic i bet they have there's the princess bride the musical oh gosh yeah that would be fantastic it would be perfect the Princess Bride Broadway World. Um, it opened, so I don't think it's run anymore. Yeah, probably not. Just with the way sets look, you would be able to recreate that look and feel really quickly on a on stage. It's not. There's really nothing in it that lends itself to like a big screen experience. Like yeah, it just. No I've watched it on my projector and it was fun, but it didn't. There wasn't anything that really jumped out at me that that said, Oh, I really kind of wish I would have uh, watched this in a movie theater, which, which isn't a knock on the movie. In fact, it's kind of works well that it's, it's just infinitely watchable on anything. I mean, I'd watch, I don't usually advise watching movies on phones and stuff, but this I'd probably be fine (laughs) watching this on a tablet if I had to. So the only other thing, Valerie played by Carol Kane, I do, Mm -hmm. I do recognize her because she plays the, she plays one of the the spirits in Scrooged. She's constantly right. like she's constantly oh. hitting Bill Murray in the face and in the nuts and like <laughs> just destroy like hits him with like a toaster or something. Yeah, she's pretty funny. <laughs> she's really a nice counterpoint to Billy Crystal's uh, Miracle Max. Especially <laughs> <laughs> that last line. You think it'll work? Yeah. It would take, take a, miracle. a miracle. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate, the chocolate. Yeah, like why is it coated in chocolate? She's like, oh, it makes it. What is it? The candy coating it makes it go down smoother. Go down. Or, yeah, oh. yeah. It's, it's it's just. This is just a little gem of a movie. It's a I joke. Mean, it's like a joke a minute, or maybe two jokes a minute kind of stuff. Like it's it's so fast. If you laugh a lot, you you could easily miss jokes. But that's okay because you know what? There's more coming. There's going to be more jokes. There is. I do think your reference to Shrek is spot on. I I did not think of that. And I think that is brilliant. And I agree wholeheartedly with it. Shrek being the It's kind of a, newest it feels version. like a live action Shrek in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. when I watch Shrek, I feel like the creators of Shrek grew up with the Princess Bride. 
Hmm. Like it feels like an influence. It does. Yeah. It feels like an influence. And there's not, yeah. there's not too many other movies that I think of that, that do this. This is not an easy thing to do to take this medieval like world and then make it a roaring comedy. I'm curious, like, what is this, like, what's this movie's legacy, like outside of the United States? Like, does anybody <laughs> even watch it or like, <laughs> is it just, is it a fixture know? there as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, is it probably hey, is probably just for, us. Yeah. I'm curious. Internet. Like if somebody wants to email the podcast from like the UK or something, which Heck. you can go to our website. Um, or for our listeners in Peru, if you know people who are in Peru, who adore this film, let us know because that yeah, was helpful. Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scott. Please tell tell us if people in Peru love this film as much as we do. It's like a national film of Peru. No, <laughs> it's probably Fair not. Fair. No, uh, no. It's. Uh, do you have any no. any thoughts as we wrap up Princess Bride? It's. This is just a fun movie. This is one of those one of those movies that makes me love this art form just for the versatility and just kind of like how much I can love something like you know, a Christopher Nolan film or a Spielberg film, but yes. then on the flip side, have something like this that is so different, but so done, you know, so well in addition that I can enjoy it for different things. And it, yeah. That and I, you know, you bring up a great point because I think a lot of people get caught up into thinking that, that their f- favorite film list has just got, if that, that if their favorite films Oppenheimer, that the rest of their top tens got to look and feel like Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's a trap. Some of us kind of can fall into of like, Oh, my top 10 can only be like really serious movies. Or if I love comedies, they're all comedies or they're all dramas or mm-hmm. they're all sci-fi. And it's like, no, this film is, is broad as, as it gets, it's as broad as literature. It's as that's what makes this so cool is that you can have the princess bride and then you can have Casablanca and then you can have Mm -hmm. any number of, of great films, but they're great in different ways. And yeah, this is, it sits at an eight on IMDb. I, I think that's probably fair. That's extremely high for a comedy. Most comedies don't get rated that high because they're, there isn't always broad appeal with what makes us laugh, but this one seems to have accomplished that. Cause you know, a lot of, people, I don't really know that many people who don't like this film. I know people who don't, love I know this people film. that haven't seen this film. Oh, I don't know many people that haven't, that don't like it. If yeah. they've seen it, they usually like it, but I do know yeah. quite a few. It's, it's getting older. We get it. 87, but I know plenty of folks that haven't watched it. But yeah, I don't know that many people that are like, I don't like that movie. So, well, we'll wrap up. I do want to mention this was a recommendation from my mom. So hopefully we, hopefully we did it. Yeah. Hopefully we did it just justice. And to her, I say, as you wish. (laughs) And we will, uh, we will bring you all another episode next week. And we thank you for listening. Thanks everybody.